This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Y'all doing good? It's so good to have you with us. We're in the second week of a series that we called You Asked, We Answered. Basically, we asked you for topics you'd like for us to preach on. And the top four vote-getting topics are coming back for one week each. Today, I'm tackling the topic of prayer. Tackling the topic of prayer. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I personally have a favorite Bible verse. Anybody have a favorite Bible verse today? Right. And and maybe maybe for you, that verse has meant something along the way. We love certain Bible verses, don't we? We we and we we actually some of us, we we get them tattooed on us. We love it so much. Right. We just love it. And if you're a guy, maybe in the small of your back. Right. Because there is no more masculine place to get a tattoo than right there. Right. If you if you're a dude and you have a tattoo there. I'm sorry, it's just, I'm going to say it. Um, some of us, we, we, we like certain Bible verses so much, we've got bumper stickers and maybe window decals that describe it. Some of you probably even have a, a placard at home on your wall, increasing your vocabulary today. I don't know if that's the right use of that word, placard, but I'm going to drop it anyway. There's some verses that we use from time to time that I think we misuse. And maybe we even overlook some things that are tucked away inside of them. One of my favorite Bible verses comes out of Romans chapter 8. Would you look at this with me? Look at this. It says that, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. We love that Bible verse, don't we? How many of y'all love that verse? Love the promise in that verse. How many of y'all have claimed that verse before for you, right? You know, there's sometimes we do that and we totally miss the point. Leave that up there for a little while. I want us to look at that verse. We go on vacation. We spend all our money. And we come home and we still got to pay the power bill. And in the back of our minds we go, oh, you know what? But God causes all things to work together for the good of those. I'm going to trust him. He's going to take care of me. I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure I've never done this. That's an implied that I have frequently <laughs> yelled at your spouse and said something that you shouldn't have. And later on throughout the weeks, they're, they're still angry at you. And you, you in the back of your mind, you go, but God's going to cause all things to work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes in Christ Jesus. That ever happened to you? You blow it at work, right? You just totally blow it. Do something you shouldn't. Show up late for four weeks in a row, and you get in trouble. And in the back of your mind, you go, oh, but I know God's going to call us to all things to work together. And there's a word in that verse we often overlook. And it appears in a lot of our favorite verses. It's that word, work. And what's unusual is we love this, this verse because a lot of times we take this verse to mean, well, I blew it, but God's going to make it good. (laughs) 
I'm not going, he's just going to sprinkle some magic fairy dust over my life. And all of a sudden, everything that I've messed up, he's going to make it all good. And we neglect to see that word work. That word appears actually in some of our favorite Bible verses. You may remember it. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on until its completion. The wise man built his house upon the rock, implied built work. He built his house upon the rock. And when the storm came, it did not blow it over. See, the thing is, is that this theme of work runs throughout all of Scripture. And what I've noticed about work is things work out for those who are willing to work them out. Things work out for those that are willing to work them out. So many of us have misdiagnosed the Christian life as a passive life where we sit back and God gets to work on and he does get to work on your behalf. But oftentimes the work that he is doing has invited you into work. And so when we fast forward, we're going to look at a passage out of Hebrews. I want you to understand that this is kind of giving us an overview of the work that God has designed for us to do in our lives if we're ever going to follow Jesus and live the life that He wants us to live. In the writer in Hebrews in chapter 12, begins with this. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they know how. Discipline. Discipline. Now let me put some context to you. The book of Hebrews is written to a group of Hebrews who had made a decision that Jesus was the Messiah and they gave their life to Jesus and they're living in what they would have called the fulfillment of the Torah. The law of God has been fulfilled in Jesus and now we have found the Messiah. We have received him and exalted and we have received forgiveness and justification through him. But at the same time, they are being executed. They are being executed for that decision. They are being killed off one after another. And just to put some context for those of us that are in this room today, living in the safety and security of a country that allows us to worship freely, I want you to know that on the day the Manchester bombing happened, just a few weeks ago, in Egypt, a story that never made headlines here in the United States, a bus, two buses carrying Christians in Egypt that were on their way to pray in a monastery were pulled over by ISIS forces, women, children, and fathers. And they were walked off of the bus one after another, one after another, one after another. And they were asked the question, are you a Muslim or are you a Christian? And they said, I'm a Christian. And then they were given the chance to denounce Jesus. And if they didn't, they were executed right there. Shot in the head, 
or their throats were cut. Dozens of our brothers and sisters refused to say no to Jesus. And it cost them their life just a few weeks ago. That is the context that this book is being written in, in Hebrews chapter 12. And the Apostle Paul says, I want you to get this. I want you to get this, that just like a, a good dad tries to discipline his kids, this is going to point to what's going on. But see, the problem with discipline is that most of us think about discipline like it's punishment. The only context that we understand discipline is I did something and it's punitive. I'm paying a price. Which can't be true if we're describing the gospel of Jesus. Because Jesus has already paid the price for your sin and my sin. See, the discipline of God is actually different. God's discipline is not punishment, it is preparation. It's preparation. It's preparing you for something. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews, who some people think was the Apostle Paul, some think it could have been a few other different, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews points this group of people to say, hey, there is something above and beyond this life that God is preparing you for. So he continues on. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. But pay attention to this. Leave this first up. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. I mean, listen, can I, be, can I just be vulnerable for a second? Nobody said yes, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> okay? A year, about a year ago, I decided that that I was going to get in shape. And I hit a milestone this past week. I've lost 30 pounds. I still have about 15 more to go. And so it's been, I'm, 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 it's been a lot of learning along this road, okay? A lot of learning. And I, I'm doing something I've never, I've never lifted weights in my entire life. Most of the time if I went into a gym, I, I didn't even know how to use those machines. They just looked foreign to me. And if I got on them, I probably looked stupid because I was doing it the wrong way. All right, so I've learned how to do the machines. But I want you to understand that sometimes I'll get done on a machine having lifted weights, and I may or may not, in the back of my mind, cuss the machine out. Never out loud. And I'm not admitting that I do that. I may or may not do that. Because no discipline is pleasant while it's happening. It's painful. It's painful. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in its ways. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own child, as his own children. Have you ever heard of a child who has never been disciplined by his father? I can tell you this, you may know a child that has never been disciplined, but you don't know a healthy child. 
that has never been disciplined. And you don't know a good loving relationship between a child and a father that doesn't involve discipline. And do you know what prayer classically has been called? A discipline. A discipline. In the history of theology, prayer is listed in the category of things that we do called spiritual disciplines. And a lot of times, the truth is we neglect the power and the privilege of prayer because we don't really understand what it is and what it can mean for our lives. Now, I just want to preface this teaching today. I did a long series called Frequency back in the spring. If you really want to hear about listening to the voice of God and responding to it, it's a great series. Go back and listen through that. So I'm going to try to tackle this today from a little bit different angle. So let's just kind of talk about what prayer is generally. Let me just give you a simple definition of prayer. Prayer is a conversation between a father and his son or a daughter. That's what prayer is. And when prayer ever becomes anything more than that, we've made it something that it's really not designed to be. I don't know about you, but if you're a parent in here, one of my favorite things to do is to talk to my kids. And can I tell you, my kids have never told me anything that I don't know already. but I love them so much that their attention and their conversation and the time involved and the intimacy of that moment is powerful for me. Prayer is a conversation between our Heavenly Father and one of His sons or daughters. But let me give you four things that I think kind of weave themselves into what prayer is, characteristics of prayer. The first thing is that prayer is seeking. Prayer is seeking. God is God. He holds things that we do not hold. And part of our prayer life needs to be seeking God himself. Y'all bear with me. I need to be hydrated today. Philippians 3.12 says this. Look at this verse. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Prayer is seeking. Leave that verse up. Which this means, okay, that there is something in life that Jesus has already taken hold of for you. He's already paid the price, went to war, already won the battle, and he is now in possession of it. And the only way that you will get it is by pressing in and seeking him. Okay, this is everything from strength and courage to answers to questions. Prayer is seeking, but prayer is not always just seeking. Sometimes it's asking. Sometimes it's asking. It's asking a question and asking God to do something for us. And the sad truth about this is that many of us, this is all our prayer life is, is asking God to do something. We don't pray for any other reason except for when we get in trouble and we need God to do something for us. But 
God does want us to ask. Philippians 4, 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything. Look at this. I'm going to look at this on the screen with you and kind of dissect it. Don't be anxious about anything. In other words, you don't have to worry. But because here's what you can do. In every situation, not just the good times, not just the bad times, not just the times you're confident and insecure all of the time. In every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He gives you full permission to ask. What an awesome and gracious invitation. But oftentimes we miss and neglect an important component of prayer. And it's really number three in your notes is that prayer is thanking. Did you notice in this verse that it says with thanksgiving? That we pray with thanksgiving? It's impossible to pray the right way and not be thankful. As a matter of fact, I'd go so far as to say, if thanking God isn't a part of your prayer life, you're not really praying. Because if you can't get in the presence of God and see how much you have to be thankful for, and if you don't think you have anything to be thankful for, can I just submit to you the fact that you can drive home today and not be worried about being pulled over by a group of of armed militant men who would force you to denounce your religion? That is something that is at least worth being thankful for today. So prayer is thanking, and then number four, prayer is submitting. Prayer is submitting. Prayer is giving up our rights and our opinions and giving up the way that we think the world should go. It's submitting to His will and His authority and saying, God, I don't have it all figured out. It's really why I'm here. It's why I'm praying. Because I'm here, and, and I'm not just looking for information. I'm here to tell you that whatever you want, I'm willing to live under you, under your authority, under your will. It's exactly how Jesus began the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Look at this. Then, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, which basically means you're amazing. Everything belongs. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, right now, can I just ask you a little diagnostic question? When you pray, are you telling God what to do or are you asking God what to do? When you pray, are you telling God what to do or are you asking God what to do? Because when we pray from a posture of submission, we're asking, we're seeking. We're saying, God, it's all about you and your will. I'm willing to get under that. So if we're honest, many of us don't pray the way we pray. How many of y'all would say, I need to pray better than I pray right now? Raise your hand. All right. And if you didn't raise your hand, you're not being honest. (laughs) All right. Because it's all of us. And there's... Problem, the problem with prayer in our culture is everybody talks about prayer and everybody has a different perspective of prayer. Every faith talks about prayer. Even non-theists talk about prayer because there's such hard medical evidence that supports the fact that prayer is good for us. So people who don't even believe in God talk about, I don't really get that, but there it is. It's happening in our world right now. And so I thought it would be nice to just ask some questions. Why don't we pray? 
And I, so I put that out on Facebook this week, got a lot of input from that. So I took kind of the uh, four themes that came back from that. And one was that I don't, we don't, I don't pray the way I should because I'm too busy. I'm too busy. And to which I said, that is probably accurate. But it's also wrong. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that the most important thing in the world, the most powerful man in the world, wanted to spend time with you this afternoon? And you said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. I can't. I, you know, I got to go work out. I got, <laughs> I got to work in the garden. And 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 you, you, everybody's looking at you, going, but. But you can meet with the president or you get to meet with this dignitary. But you're saying, no, you're too. Why do we you would make time if you could meet with the president of the United States every day? You would make time for it, even if you hate him. Okay. Why why do we treat Jesus such substandard? ways. I mean, why do we deny? And I think really the reason that we're so busy is we're looking for significance. That's why. Is we're looking, we're looking for significance. And we're, we find significance in various different places, and you really can't say no to something that holds your significance. And we'll say that again. You can't say no to something that holds your significance. And some of you, it's your job, and you never say no to your job because that's what holds your significance. And so your job, hey, I need you to do this. Okay, I'm going to go do it. Hey, I need you to show. And, and always, always overextended there. Some of you are that way with your kids. You never say no to your kids because your kids hold your significance. And so you're always saying yes, always saying yes, always saying yes, overextended, way too busy. Some of you are that way with friends and with relationships. But here's the thing about busyness, okay? Don't mistake busyness for significance. Because the only significance that will be satisfying is the significance that you find in the heart of God. And so for many of you, you probably are too busy. But the busy that you're chasing is never going to fill you. It's always going to leave you wanting. Another excuse, why don't we pray? I don't deserve to be able to pray. I can't honestly count the times I've heard people say this. And it hurts me deep inside when I hear someone say this. Because really what they're saying is there's something hidden in my past, something way back there that, that I did. It was sin, it was hurt. And I just don't feel like I deserve to be able to come into the presence of a holy and good God. And here's the truth about it. You don't. You don't, really. None of us do. Except for one thing. Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. He died for you. He absorbed the penalty that should be associated with your sin. And so really what you're saying, and I want you to get this today, when you say that I, I just, I, I don't deserve to be able to pray, what you're saying is the sacrifice of Jesus is inadequate. 
the sacrifice of Jesus is inadequate. Because what God really needs is Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus me. I should be offering some other sort of sacrifice. And that's not orthodox Christianity. We understand that Jesus alone paid the price for us to have access with God. That's why it's called grace. It's an unmerited gift that God has given to you. And you should never, ever let that posture keep you from him because all of that is is pride. It's just pride. It's pride causing you to think less of yourself than you really should because God says that I think enough of you that I gave my son so that you can now have access to me. I love you and I want to spend time with you. The next one, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Why should I pray? God's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway. Which I would say is not true, actually. Jesus tells the story in Luke chapter 11 about what, what I think is the worst neighbor ever in the history of the world. He tells a story about a guy who wakes up in the middle of the night and he's hungry. Imagine if your neighbor did this to you. He's hungry and so he doesn't have any food in his house. So he goes next door and starts beating on his neighbor's door. Hey, I need some food. I'm hungry. Imagine if your neighbor did that tonight. Midnight. Starts beating on the door. Comes over. Hey, I'm out of bread. Can you give me some bread? I would go outside and slap him. I'm just telling you right now, it would not go well for him. And the neighbor responds the way that most of us would. He woke up, hey, man, it's late. I'm asleep. My kids are asleep. The door's even locked. Can you just come back in the morning? Jesus says, listen, even in that scenario, if you persisted to ask, even that neighbor would give up get up and give you some bread and then he says this so i say to you ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be open for you in the book of james the bible tells us that we don't have because we don't ask we don't have because we don't ask and i think that some of us when it comes time to ask we start asking some pretty low level questions God, can you help me pay my power bill? When really, we could be asking, God, my daughter doesn't love you, and I want her to. God, would you please, would you please save her? Or God, I, I sense something going on in the heart of my husband, and it's not good. And I don't know what it is, but I know you do. So God, could you protect him and heal him? And we could pray for our parents. That God, as they begin to age, not just God keep them healthy, but God help them finish the race well. They've been so good to us, but help them finish well. I think sometimes we're not even asking the kind of things that honor the grandeur of who God is. It does matter. Prayer does move the heart of God. And the last thing, last reason and I don't know if you identify with this, but a lot of people said this is I feel like I keep praying the same thing over and over and over again. Anybody ever felt that way before? I just feel like I keep asking the same things over and over. And I think that's true. I think a lot of times we get into that point. But let me give you what a friend of mine gave me. If, if there's something that you're praying at, turn it into a question and then begin to seek an answer. 
instead of just telling God, God, my daughter doesn't love you, my daughter doesn't love you, start praying, God, and this is scary, this is a much scarier prayer to pray, but start praying, God, is it your will that my daughter come to know you? God, is it your will that my daughter give her life to you? God, is that what you want? Because here's what I want to know. I want to know what you want, God. I want to know. Start seeking an answer. And once you get an answer, then start thanking Him for the answer. So when God finally does come back and go, yes, that's my will. I want her to give her life to me. I want her to be right with me. She's running from me, but I'm chasing after her. Then you start coming back and you say, God, I just want to thank you because I know it's going to happen. I know it's your will. I know it's going to happen one day. So God, thank you. Thank you for the answer that you've given me. Pray for an answer and then thank him for the answer. So what will it take? for us to become a people who pray well. I'm going to give you three quick tips today. Three quick tips. The first one is don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait at all. As a matter of fact, how many of y'all have had somebody come up, maybe at work, maybe in passing, and just say, hey, can you pray for me? Something's going on, and they tell you what's going on, right? Happens a lot. Here's what we normally do. We normally go, okay, I'll pray for you, and then we move on, right? That's what we do. Okay, I'll pray for you. If you ever text me and ask me, hey, pastor, would you pray for me? If you notice, my response typically is I'm praying for you right now. And the reason is, is that if I didn't pray for you right then, I'll forget. And I'll move on and I won't remember. And so I've learned this, just a practical tip. When someone asks you to pray for them, do it immediately. Do it immediately. Don't wait. The other day I was Having breakfast, and someone came up and said, hey, I got a bad doctor's report. And, and we haven't told a lot of people, but I wanted to tell you, you're my pastor. Would you, would you pray for me? We're right there in the middle of the restaurant. I said, can I pray for you right now? Yeah. Well, let's do it. And I prayed for him. Do it immediately. Pray immediately. Don't wait. And here's something just about general things in life. A lot of times in life we wait and we try to wait until we feel like things have kind of gotten figured out before we step into the reality that we know that God has called us to. But in life, all right, in a life of faith, you'll rarely have things figured out until after you start. In a life of faith, you're, you're rarely going to have things figured out until after you start. That's why it's called faith. Because he doesn't want you to have it all figured out. All the dots are not going to connect. It's not going to make complete rational sense. And when you step into the unknown, after a few steps, you look back and you go, oh, makes sense now. And so many of you are waiting to start praying the way that you know you should until you get to this point where you feel like, well, I understand it. I think I got a good handle on what prayer is. And you're not going to know how to do it until you start to do it. So don't wait. Number two, create a regular rhythm. Create a regular rhythm in your prayer life. I love the term rhythm because it describes so much of life that we need to have kind of a 
persistent rhythm in what our life feels. And it changes in different seasons of life. So what is your regular rhythm of prayer? Here's a, here's a question, just a diagnostic question. What's your regular appointment to meet with God? Does God have space that is booked in your calendar? What does it look like? When do you actually have time and margin that is dedicated towards seeking a relationship with God? Because if you don't make it a priority, it won't be a priority. And what should happen during those seasons and those times that we actually do devote to intentionally seek? Let me give you a list of things that can happen. All right, number one, we can worship. We can sing and play worship songs and let our hearts fix on Him. Number two, we can read the Bible. Listen to what God's Word already says to us. Three, we can talk. This is where we do the things that we often associate with, with praying. We ask God to, to do things. We seek Him. We thank Him verbally. And then we tell Him that we're submitted to Him. And then we do the other part of conversating. We listen. We listen. Sometimes these moments can be where we journal. We write down our prayers or write down what God has said to us. And then there can also be times where we study. Get really involved in going after and seeking an answer in a specific area. For me, the times that have been dedicated to God have shifted throughout my life. There was a time I had a long commute. And I prayed and sought God on an hour and a half commute each way, back and forth. I had three hours a day. I can tell you I probably grew more during that season than I've grown in any other season because I leveraged that time just for Jesus. When I was a teacher, I got a planning period. And even though it frustrated some of my colleagues, I always took a portion of my planning period and devoted it to seeking God. Because I'm not going to cheat God. I'll cheat school. And you want to know what? My kids never hurt for it. My test scores were never bad. My classroom was never mismanaged. I have kids who have graduated from every content area that I taught and are now doing it professionally. But I was willing to say, this is what I'm going to do. And even now, when our family is a little crazy with three little kids, when I go work out, I put headphones in, which is translates to please don't talk to me because I'm focusing on something else. And workout time is a lot of time, devotional time. So when is your regular appointment with God? And the last thing, if we're going to become a praying people, we must do the work. We must do the work. You know that discipline, one of the definitions of the word discipline is the practice of training. The practice of training. And when we are being disciplined in life, we are actually training ourselves for something else. Remember, God's discipline is not punitive, it's not punishment, it's preparation. And when we pray, God is actually doing something in our hearts to prepare us, to train us for something that is coming later in life. Can I give you four things that I see that prayer trains us in? First, it trains us to focus our heart on God. 
It trains us to focus our heart on God. It trains us to go to God when we have a problem, when we have a question, and when we have something to celebrate. Praying trains us to focus our hearts on God. Praying trains us to let Jesus be the primary influencer in our life. Because when I have a question, instead of going to Mama, instead of going to Google, I go to God first. And as I prepare and train, it prepares my heart to let God be the primary influencer. Prayer allows my heart to be trained to find my source in God alone. Because I, I start to thank Him and thank Him and thank Him for all that He has done in my life. For all of it. All of a sudden I start to recognize that He is the source. And prayer trains my heart to find my source in Him. And lastly, prayer trains me to be submitted to Him and to His leadership. There are some of us, if we're honest today, the problem with our prayer is that we've been praying and telling God what to do instead of asking God what we should do. which is an indicator that our lives have not been fully submitted to Him. When our prayers are more filled with us giving God direction than seeking His direction, there's a problem in the fact that we have not submitted to Him. And I believe today that there are a few people, a lot of people in this room, that this is that moment when you finally say, I'm tired of telling you what to do. I'm tired of trying to write my own story. Today is a day that I'm going to let go and let you become the author of what happens in me. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.